0: Thank you, choir, praise team, and thank all of you for taking part in worship. And so, I pray that the Lord was honored as we worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew. We'll look at a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 5. As I share with you this morning, Uh, in regards to... Who's your one emphasis today we began our who's your one emphasis we've had posters around the church now for the last four months and so we didn't announce a date but we want to kick off our who's your one emphasis today and I'm going to be sharing about the healing of the the paralytic and so if you would Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, familiar passage known as the Great Commission. And then uh, we'll go to the book of Luke. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you now for an opportunity to meet again to worship and now to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, for the time of worship, for the singing, the praise, praise songs, hymns, different ways, prayers, different ways we worship this morning. And now we open your word. We know your word is inspired. We know that it's inerrant. We know that it comes, it's God-breathed, it comes from you. We know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away, it will live forever. We know every bit is true, so help us to take it to heart, help us to take it to mind. Thank you for what you're going to do as you work in our hearts and lives today. I pray that you would cleanse my heart, forgive me of my sins, that this message would not be hindered in any way. That your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to work in my own heart and life as well as others. Father, give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. May you, be, uh, may you speak to our hearts today Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, listen to this little video clip I have for you. 7.6 billion. Now that's a big number they are on earth. In the U.S. alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? That's Dr. Johnny Hunt. Who's your one? Who's your one? Found these statistics. More than one half of all churchgoers, which is 51%, say they've not heard of the Great Commission. Those who go to church, 51% have never heard of the Great Commission. Another 6% says, well, I'm not sure if I've heard of the Great Commission. 25%, have heard of it, but they can't recall the meaning of it. Regular churchgoers. Only 17% have heard of the Great Commission, and they know what it means. So the point is, our spiritual ignorance. I'm afraid that our spiritual ignorance, and perhaps our lack of obedience to the Lord, as a believer, in regards to Matthew 18, 19, 20, us neglecting that just simple passage of uh, Scripture that we've perhaps memorized and put it to heart, I believe that is the reason that there are more churches today than ever before, but more lost people today than ever before. Jesus put it this way. He said, The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. So pray for the Lord of the harvest that He would send more labors out into the harvest field. And so, when the Lord gave us the Great Commission, I like to refer to it as the Great Commission. It's not only intended for the vocational evangelists, the Great Commission, it's not only intended for the, uh, the, the vocational uh, pastor or the local pastor, vocational missionary, whomever. But the Great Commission, the Great Commission, is our personal commission, it's my commission. It's your commission. It's the believer's personal commission. It's the marching orders of the church to every born-again believer to carry the gospel to everywhere, to everyone around the world. And so we're to be personally involved in the commission, the great commission with the Lord to reach the lost world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question this morning is this. After a while, at the end of this service, be praying through the service. Be praying as, as God speaks to your heart. Would you be willing to share this coming year? Would you be willing, first of all, to build a relationship with a person who, who is not a believer? Would you be willing to to build that relationship? Would you be willing to share your personal testimony with that person? Would you be willing to invite that person to to a worship service or to a brotherhood breakfast or WMU or the Beast Feast that's coming up in, in a week or so? Or would you just give that simple invitation for them to come and attend a worship service? Would you be willing to do that? Now... Uh, LifeWay Research tells us this, says among American churchgoers, one-third or 29% have not invited someone to attend church in the last six months. One-third or 29% of believers have not invited someone to attend church in the last six months. 25% have invited someone three or more times in six months. 21% of people, uh, churchgoers, have invited people twice in six months. 17% have invited people once in the last six months. And then the rest could not remember if they'd invited anyone or not. And so we have to understand that this emphasis, who's your one, it's really to help us to reach out to those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and just simply share with them what Christ has done in our life and what He can do in their life, in their life. Now, to, to see the significance of this, we have to go back 71 years ago. 71 years ago, baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention were as low as they are now. We baptized in 2018. The same number we baptized 71 years ago in 1948. Think of that. Now we can turn that around. We can turn that around. If 10% of our Sunday morning attenders, 10%, not everyone, but 10% of our Sunday morning attenders attend in the Southern Baptist Church, that's 5.3 million on any given Sunday, if they would simply share their faith, if they'd share their faith to one person, to one person, and see that person come to Christ that year, that particular year, we would have twice as many come to Christ as we did in 1948 in any year recorded in the Southern Baptist Convention. Think of that. Only 10% of the churchgoers... Attending Southern Baptist churches today, we'd see more people baptized in any given year ever. That's only 10% of our active Sunday morning attenders. So this morning, I'm asking you, as the Lord speaks to you, pray for courage to invite someone who is, is not a believer or is not in church. Invite someone, share with someone your personal testimony, pray to see them saved over the next 12 months. Now, with all of that in mind, kind of as an introduction, turn to the book of Luke. We want to look at uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, no doubt a familiar passage of Scripture. I preached this uh, some years back, not this same sermon, but from this passage in regards to a friend day we had. But I'm going at it in kind of a different direction, but it'll speak to our hearts. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, notice what God's Word says. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. So what you have, you have Jesus teaching and healing and He's uh, ministering, and all of a sudden, there's some guys that bring a friend, and they bring him in and lay him before Jesus. He's paralyzed. Verse 19, where they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, and they let him down with his bed through the, the tiling into the mist before Jesus. So Jesus is in the house. They're trying to get to Jesus. Their way is blocked. They go to the roof removed some of the uh, thatch from the roof. And when he saw their faith, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Man, said to this man, one that was paralyzed, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them. He took up what he had been lying on, and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, I found out over the years that if you're not careful, it's easy to get caught up in missions without realizing your personal role in missions. It's easy to get caught up in missions without realizing your personal role in missions. For example, uh, I like sports. I like sports. Some people love sports. Some people love, love sports. But I like sports. I enjoyed the ball games yesterday, particularly two of them. But I, I was watching last night, yesterday afternoon, and uh, we, sit, we love sports. We sat in front of our TV. We sat on the bleachers. We sit in the stands. We pulled for our favorite team. But we've never stepped out on the field to make any type of contribution whatsoever. Only financially given to the administration to build huge stadiums and high-priced tickets and goes to all kinds of things. You know what I'm talking about. As far as personal contribution on that field, we have none. But we love sports, and I love sports. We never step out on that field. But the point is, we're cheerleaders but we're really not contributors i see that working in missions a lot we're cheerleaders but we're really not contributors and i'm not talking about money i'm talking i'm speaking about personal involvement boots on the ground knocking on doors sharing our personal testimony with someone at work that's what i'm speaking of and so it's sad to say that as the as the football image or illustration we're chair but not contributors. It can be said the same with the local church. Now, I want you to notice these men. If you're taking notes, first of all, notice these men had a mission. Jot that down. They had a mission. Now, we're talking about who's your one. We're talking about the healing of this paralytic man. We're talking about being personally involved, contributing to missions, personally contributing. And these men did, and the reason they did, first of all, they had a mission. They had a mission. A mission drives us. You have companies that have mission statements. The purpose of those mission statements is to drive that company. Families even have mission statements. You see some families have mission statements hanging. Uh, their family mission statement hanging over maybe a fireplace or a dining area or over or near the front door outside. I've seen these before. Perhaps you have. Companies have mission statements. Burger King has a mission statement. McDonald's, Nike, I looked at several last night, just thumbing through and reading some mission statements from different companies or family mission statements. You know, churches have mission statements. You see these on on signs, church signs. Our mission statement years past was reaching out to all people regardless of their Uh, of their uh, socioeconomic standard or status, regardless of race, regardless of whatever, we want to reach out to everyone. That's part of our mission statement, reaching out to all. So, mission statements from companies, from churches, from family. But there's times that we get off course, and we get off course when we forget our mission statement. And we're really not doing what our company or our family or our church was created to do or said that we would do. For instance, Instagram's mission statement, I jotted that down. It says, to capture and share the world's moments. Facebook says, a media platform for your grandma to keep up with her grandchildren. I guess that works pretty good. Jesus had a mission statement. Jesus' mission statement is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Listen to his mission statement. Luke 19, verse 10. Listen to what he said. Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 10. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission statement. That was his purpose for coming to earth. That's what drove him. That was his mission statement. So the question is this, this morning, what drives you? What drives you? What spiritual thing has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your life? What is driving you this morning in your spiritual relationship with God? What's driving you? Do you have kingdom dreams? Do you have a dream of people, certain people coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have a dream of serving in a particular ministry at Mountain View Baptist Church? Do you have a dream of reading your Bible through this coming year? Do you have a dream of having a daily devotional time? Do you have a dream of sharing your personal testimony with at least one person, not once a day, but once a week, not once a week, once a month? Do you have that personal dream that drives you? So the question to ponder was: is, when was the last time you stopped to think about your spiritual dreams? Your spiritual dreams. Your mission. And so these men, they were on mission. They had a mission. Secondly, jot this down. These men had an eager expectation. They had an eager expectation. I mean, uh, they they really believed that if they could get their friend to Jesus, that Jesus not only could heal him, but Jesus would heal him. They had this expectant, this eager expectation. They didn't think maybe he might heal them or him. They didn't think, well, just maybe he would heal him. But they just, they were willing, listen, they were willing to take a risk. Because of what? Because of their mission, and they stepped out and they took their friend to find Jesus. They had a mission. Now, you'll find this true all through the Bible. You'll find it true. You'll find it true in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'll find it true where men and women were willing to step out and take a risk for God, for Jesus. Moses. Came to the Red Sea. And God said, hold up your rod. And he expected something. What did he do? He held up his rod. And when he held up the rod, the sea parted. He was willing. He was on mission with God. He was willing to risk it all in obedience to God, just doing what God told him to. And he held up his rod. The sea parted. Not only Moses, you had Joshua. Joshua Joshua's on mission. He expected the walls to fall, just uh, Jericho, just like God said they would fall. He did exactly what God said, and he had this expectant, he had this eager expectation where those walls would fall, and those walls came tumbling down. Elijah at Mount Carmel had this eager expectation, but let me tell you, that was before. That that was before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were willing to trust God before they knew. They didn't know anything that was going to happen in the New Testament. It had been prophesied, but nothing had come to pass yet. And so they were willing to take the risk there in the Old Testament. Think what can happen now after the cross, after the death, after the burial, after the resurrection, after Jesus said, All power is given me in heaven and earth. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the earth, end of the age. Think what can happen now if people are willing to step out on mission and have an eager expectation of what God will do if they would simply be obedient to Him. So they had this eager expectation. Question to ponder. Do you have an eager expectation of someone coming to faith in Christ? Have you been thinking, you know, I need to witness to old Joe at work? Do you think God can save Joe at work? You think God can save Sally that you meet frequently, maybe at the dollar store, at the Piggly Wiggly or something, and maybe she's dropped a hint, and I I hear you go to Mountain View. I've been thinking about going, I've been thinking about visiting, I'm just visiting around. You think God could save Sally, just like he could save Joe? If you'd go on mission and step out in eager expectation, thinking God would do what he said would do, or knowing that he would. And so do you have an eager expectation? Second question, does your expectation move you into action? Does it move you? You think today may be the day for Joe? It may be the day for Sally? If, if I see Sally today, I'm going, to, I'm going to invite her or I'm going to share a testimony. I believe today's the day God's going to work in Sally's life. You have that eager expectation. These men had a mission. These men had an eager expectation. And then these men, number three, these men encountered an obstacle. Now, for some reason, we've begun to think that we can go out somewhere and witness for Christ and not have an obstacle. Breeze right in, breeze right out, no interruptions, no problem. These men had an obstacle. They had this obstacle. The crowd was the obstacle. Because of this crowd, there was no way to Jesus. So at this point, many of us would do what? We'd give up, throw, throw, you know, raise the white flag, surrender. So we think that an open door... Is, is equal to the path of least resistance. If There will always be an open door. If the door's not, I hear people say this all the time. You know, God will open the door. If God don't open the door, He'll shut the door and we'll pray. If there's a dog, you know, I used to pray that. You know, is there a light on? Maybe a light won't be on. <laughs> maybe the dog, maybe it won't be a dog in the yard. If there's a dog in the yard, I won't go. Least resistance. These guys had an obstacle. Just think, I was thinking about Apostle Paul, old Paul. If he just walked, if he just only walked through the path of open doors, did you know we wouldn't have half of the New Testament in our Bibles? Because he met with obstacles all the time. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, that part that he wrote in prison. Always an obstacle. So these men had an obstacle. So but because of their hope, because of their faith, and it was so strong, they just kicked open those closed doors and they, they went to the roof. They cut into the roof. So the question to ponder is what obstacles what obstacles have deterred you from your mission? Maybe someone in the family. Maybe something on the job, someone on the job. Maybe school. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a lack of faith. What obstacle is deterring you you from your mission? And then jot this down real quick. These men got more than they bargained for. Did you notice that? So the point is, don't settle for the mundane, but expect a miracle when you're working for Jesus. The people thought of the primary need and that primary need they thought was external but the primary need was God was not external it was internal the man's sins needed to be forgiven and so Jesus is showing to them and showing to us the greatest need is not it's not the external but it's the internal posture of the heart that needs to be changed that's what he's after and so when Jesus addresses this deeper need the people They were just filled with, oh, man, we've never seen anything like this before. This is is just amazing. So the question to ponder is, how did others play a role in your life in coming to Jesus? How did others play a role? In what ways was Jesus transferred to your life, from someone else, shared with you, from someone else? Why would you not long for the same type of transformation to be in others? This morning we had a pre-worship about heaven. I love that song about heaven. Then we, we sang the song, When We All Get to Heaven. The problem with that is not everybody, not all are going to heaven. I heard one church sing it this way. They changed the all to the saved. When the saved get to heaven, makes, that makes a lot of sense. But here's the point. God saved us. God called us to be on mission with him to win a lost world to himself. That's our mission. That's our purpose for being here. We have a mission. We need to have an eager expectation. We'll encounter obstacles. However, we'll get more than we bargained for. I found something that I thought would go along with this. I want to close with it. Listen to this, if you would. Now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there were many fish in the water all around them. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these who call themselves fishermen met in meetings and they talked about their call to fish and the abundance of fish and how they may go about fishing. And year after year carefully defined what fishing means and defending fishing as an occupation declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. Continually. They searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing, and they created witty slogans and displayed them on big and beautiful banners. These fishermen built large and beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every man should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish in addition to meeting regularly. They organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held meetings to, to define fishing and to defend fishing and to, and to decide what new streams they should uh, be thought about. And But the staff and the committees and the members never did fish. Large and and elaborate and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish and the nature of fish and where to find fish and the psychological reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. And those who taught and and had doctorates in physiology but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. And year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing license. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who, who felt the call to be fishermen responded, and they were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to be fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simple letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. And it's true, many of the fishermen uh, sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties, and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of the fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, but yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claim to be, yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets. Who's the one you going after? Man, pretty convicted. So today, would you be willing to commit to reach one who is lost without Christ? With a mind of, who's the one that I'm going after? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence this morning and focus on evangelism and on um, our mission, what you've left us here for. Lord, to fish. You, you told your disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what we're to be. And so help, us, help me, I pray. As I recommit myself to be about the mission that you've called me to be. Sometimes I get all caught up, Lord, in this churchy stuff. But I pray, Lord, that we as a church here at Mountain View, this faith family, that we'll be about your business. And, Lord, that we'll be serious about it. Help us, we pray now, as we allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. During this invitation time, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.